0: Then lay aside the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Amen. For the past three months, the letter of Paul to the Romans has been the appointed Sunday epistle. Romans is, without question, the most influential of all St. Paul's correspondence. The Anglican Bishop and New Testament scholar N.T. Wright says of Romans, Romans is neither a systematic theology nor a summary of Paul's life work, but it is by common consent his masterpiece. We are here dealing with a work of massive substance, presenting a formidable intellectual challenge while offering a breathtaking theological and spiritual vision. It was the epistle to the Romans on which Martin Luther based his great Reformation thesis that we are justified by faith and not by works. It was Luther's conviction about justification by faith alone that prompted him to call the epistle of James an epistle of straw because of its insistence that faith without works is dead. But we have only to recall what we have heard read this morning and in the previous two weeks to know that St. Paul himself would not have drawn such a sharp dichotomy between the theological convictions of our faith and the life that we are meant to live as Christians. In chapter 12, and in this morning's portion of chapter 13, we have heard what might be the most succinct summary of Christian life in all the New Testament. He tells us what sort of people God has called us to be, as well as what that looks like in terms of our interactions with one another. Chapter 12 begins with an appeal and appeal to present ourselves as holy and acceptable sacrifices to God. He tells us not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewal of our minds. He tells us what sort of people God has called us to be, as well as what this looks like in terms of our interactions with one another. He tells us not only what to reject and to refuse, but also what to hold on to and what to cherish. He tells us how to live with one another, how to treat the stranger, and perhaps most importantly of all, how we are meant to treat our enemies. Last week, we heard St. Paul tell us that our lives are meant to bear the mark of genuine love, and this morning, we hear him telling us that loving one another is the fulfillment of the law. Yes, St. Paul does tell us to hate what is evil and to lay aside the works of darkness. But the most powerful witness is an affirmation of who and what we love rather than what we hate. The most powerful witness is genuine love. The most powerful witness is putting on the armor of light. The most powerful witness is living honorably and loving our neighbor. St. Paul tells us that we are meant to be a people who rejoice in hope, who are patient in suffering, and who persevere in prayer. St. Paul tells us that we are meant to be both empathetic and compassionate, people who rejoice with those who rejoice and who weep with those who weep. St. Paul was a great teacher and preacher and theologian, but he also knew that there are times and occasions when we are better served by expressions of love that is genuine, by tears and by sheer delight, when words fail us. I learned something about the power of this ministry of presence when I was in seminary at the General Theological Seminary and doing my clinical pastoral education at Columbia Presbyterian Hospital in New York. I was serving as a summer chaplain and was called to the Cardiac Intensive Care Unit. There I met several siblings who were in their 60s. Their mother was one of eight children, all of whom were still alive and in their 80s and 90s. This woman was the first of her siblings to be so near death. It was the first time that her children or their cousins had dealt with the impending death of a loved one. Their mother died, and within days of her death, I received a thank you from the family for all that I had done. But all I did, quite literally, was to show up to show up and to share their sadness at the prospect of their mother's proximate death. During this season of pandemic, it's heartbreaking that so many people have had to die alone in hospitals because loved ones can't be with them, and that loved ones have been unable to visit family members and friends who are in care facilities. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and weep with those who weep. St. Paul reminds us that we are no better than anyone else. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly, and do not be don't claim to be wiser than you are. He tells us that we are meant to be generous to those we know and love, but also to those who are strangers. St. Paul tells us that we are meant to be people who speak words of blessing even to those who are persecuting us. One of my favorite books is My Grandfather's Blessing, Stories of Strength, Refuge and Belonging by Rachel Naomi Remen. The book is a series of stories about the power of blessing, about the power of being agents and recipients of blessing. Dr. Remen recalls that she used to go to her grandfather's house every Friday afternoon for tea. They would drink her t- their tea, and then her grandfather would light two candles and set them on a table. He would pray to God in Hebrew, and then he would lay his hand lightly on his granddaughter's head. She said, He would begin by thanking God for me and for making me his grandpa. He would specifically mention my struggles during that week and tell God something about me that was true. And then he would give me his blessing and ask the long-ago women I knew from his many stories, Sarah, Rachel, Rebecca, and Leah, to watch over me. Her grandfather died when she was just seven years old, but she says slowly over time, I came to understand that in some mysterious way I had learned to see myself through his eyes and that once we are blessed, we are blessed forever. Being a people of blessing means that we see ourselves and others through God's eyes. Being a people of blessing means that we bless even those who curse us. We bless even those who persecute us. We do not do unto others as they have done unto us, but rather we do unto others as we would have them do unto us. St. Paul tells us to do that which is most difficult of all, and that is to love our enemies. When St. Paul tells us to love one another, when he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he doesn't only have our nice neighbors in mind. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan in St. Luke's Gospel. A lawyer asked Jesus what he must do to inherit eternal life. Jesus asked him, well, what does the law say? To which the lawyer responded, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. To which Jesus answered, you're right. Do this and you'll live. But then the lawyer asks, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the parable of a man who is robbed and beaten and left to die on the side of the road. The supposedly righteous men, the priest and the Levite, pretend not to see the injured man and go on their way. But the enemy of the Jews, a Samaritan, is the one who stops, has compassion who binds up the stranger's wounds, and who carries him to a safe place. In the parable of the Good Samaritan, it is the enemy who is the neighbor. So this morning, when we hear St. Paul tell us to love our neighbors, he has our enemies in mind as well. When St. Paul tells us to love one another, when he tells us to love our neighbors as ourselves, he has in mind the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. When St. Paul tells us to love one another, he has in mind what we have heard the last couple of weeks in the gospel readings. And that is, if we want to follow Jesus, we have to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow. And in this morning's gospel, to make an attempt to reconcile with the one who has done us wrong. To love one another means reconciliation and forgiveness. To love one another means we love as Christ loved us. To love one another means that we forgive others their offenses. To love one another means that we love even those neighbors who are our enemies. To love one another means that when someone has wronged us, we find a means for reconciliation rather than means for revenge. There is a film from several years ago that can be rented on Amazon Prime that I recommend. The film is Calvary. It's an Irish film set in a little Irish village. In the course of hearing a confession, the local priest is threatened with death, by a man in his parish because of abuse he suffered at the hands of another priest when he was a child. The man says that he has chosen his current priest as his victim because he is a good and a kind priest, guilty of nothing. And during the course of the film, we see this priest loving his neighbors, one of whom has threatened his life, and none of whom... Are really particularly deserving of his care and attention. The film is both a paradigm of Christ and of what loving your neighbor, who may also be your enemy, might look like. Towards the end of the film, the priest is having a telephone conversation in which the subject of sin is raised. He says, Well, he's been thinking more about virtue than he has about sin. And so, on the other end of the line, he's asked, well, what virtue in particular? And he says, forgiveness. Forgiveness and reconciliation are at the heart of the gospel. Forgiveness and reconciliation are what Christ has done for us. Forgiveness and reconciliation are how we love one another. Forgiveness and reconciliation are the summary of the Christian life. This is the armor of light. Forgiveness and reconciliation. Amen.